Hello everyone and welcome back to the Spacebar podcast. I hope you're well. I'm P. Robert Shaw and on this week's episode of the Spacebar, we're going to be discussing um, the major differences between two of the kind of biggest SaaS e-commerce platforms on the market. That's BigCommerce and Shopify Plus. Um, these are kind of two platforms that it was as an agency have kind of really seen huge traction within the UK and I know the adoption of these has been really, really high. Um, I think both platforms on the surface seem very similar. We got a lot of questions about, you know, should I go BigCommerce, should I go Shopify? They look very similar when you see them. Um, but I guess the question is like, how do you choose between them? Um, kind of in this in the battle of the SaaS platforms, I guess what we're going to call this. Um, I'm joined by two of my colleagues today from Space Forty Eight. Uh, first up, we've got Peter Hicks, who's a tech lead at Space Forty Eight, and a guy that probably knows more about Shopify than the people at Shopify themselves. Um, he's been working with Shopify a long, long time, and he's been on this podcast before. He's, he's not a newbie to this, but um, Peter said today to kind of give his intake on Shopify. And um, I'm also joined by Sam Brown. Sam's our um, systems architect. Um, and I guess from, you know, since I've known you, when I first knew you, you were like a Magento developer to begin with. And I guess, and you, I guess you are now in the systems architect world, but much more focused on big commerce than Magento. Um, so welcome to you both. It's great to have you on. Right, we're going to get straight into it tonight because there's a lot to get through. So, again, what we're going to be discussing specifically on this podcast episode is around BigCommerce Enterprise and Shopify Plus and how they tackle sort of kind of the key components of an e-commerce website. Um, to kick off then, I want to talk about kind of around how sort of flexible each platform is and how easy it is to extend. So, again, we're here we're talking about, again, Shopify Plus versus BigCommerce Enterprise, specifically Enterprise in terms of the license and the features that you get with those. I guess over to you, Peter, first. I mean, Shopify is often described as a platform, I hear it described as a platform that doesn't allow merchants to kind of grow and becomes difficult to work with. So, Peter, what's your thoughts on sort of Shopify in terms of its extendability and its kind of flexibility? Yeah, I think a few years ago, I think there was maybe some merit to the argument because a lot of people will come in at Shopify from systems like Magento or WooCommerce, these big kind of monolithic hosted apps. And you could you could change everything, you know, and... And merchants often did, and and sometimes it was it was brilliant, and sometimes you know people could could make problems for themselves by doing it. And Shopify comes along, and they they abstract away a lot of the um, underlying elements of like an e-commerce platform. You know, none of us really want to be dealing with implementing our own payment gateways, although you know maybe sometimes we need to. <laughs> hmm. um, no one wants to be dealing with like the real fundamentals of, of caching and hosting and server maintenance. So, so Shopify came along and was like, well, you don't have to do that. And so in exchange, you get a little less power, but instead they've got a lot of focus on giving you that flexibility on the other side, which is the actual merchant experience and the customer experience. Mm-hmm. So they've always been reasonably flexible with what you can do with their theming engine. And a lot of their focus recently as well has been making that easier to do. So things like with their online store 2.0 system that they um, started rolling out about six months ago, um, they are working on um, app extensions, which is a system where you can install the Shopify app, um, like one of our many partners, <laughs> like Recharge. <laughs> and, I know, right? <laughs> and they can just inject straight into the theme, into a, like a predefined slot. And the nice thing about that is that up until now, the themes of the three. Up until now, when an app has wanted to integrate with a theme, it's had to basically go into the theme and try and find something it, it thinks it recognizes and then kind of modify that code around what it needs to do. So if you had a theme that was pretty close to, to stock, pretty close to what they expected, you know, you, you are okay with that. If you'd really kind of pushed out there a little bit and got a little bit more bespoke, you quite often had to do these app integrations yourself. Mm-hmm. 
which was always a little bit of a a mixed bag as to how successful that could be. Uh, with the app slots, you just kind of say, hey, this is what my PDP looks like. Here's where I want this app to go. And it just does the rest for you. So it means that around those slots, you, you can really you know, push the boat out. You can do a lot more, which is great. Um, some areas of Shopify are still a little bit more locked down. So famously, the, the checkout is quite locked down. Um, it's always been the case where if you're on Shopify Plus, you get a little more control over the checkout. You can actually modify the uh, the templates a little bit, although you're still given kind of big blocks of, yeah, here's where the checkout goes. And uh, <laughs> you kind of have to work around it. Um, but again, the same thing, something that's coming up in, uh, in the future and something they're beginning to roll out soon is uh, checkout app extensions. So in the same way as we're, we're working with the themes directly with this, um, apps can expose functionality um, that can be injected into the checkout directly. So, for right. example, if you were building yourself a click and collect um, app, for example, and that's something that you wanted to allow merchants to, to plug into their checkouts easily, you could create yourself a really lovely UX flow and you could use a checkout app extension to inject it straight into their checkouts. And they're not having to write any code, they're not having to mess around with it too much. Mm. And uh, I suppose the other thing that's worth talking about in terms of flexibility is. If you don't want to use the theme engine, you really want to go way out there. You want to have complete control over how you present your storefront to the customers. You can always look at something like the headless experience where you use something like the storefront API. You might use something like Gatsby or Next.js to build something truly bespoke. You don't use the theme engine at all. You call their APIs in the background, and the flow for the customers can be anything you want it to be. Well, okay. So it sounds like, you know, given this, this stigma that it's hard, it's probably a bit of an old stigma, the fact that it's been, you know, less flexible. Like, but in recent years, they've definitely made some improvements around that to give people, guess, more control. You've kind of highlighted quite a number of things there. The store for 2.0, which has been released that you mentioned. Um, and the, the checkout, I mean, again, checkout's, again, one thing, one pain point. But actually, the checkout is great. It's been well tested. It's it, Everyone kind of knows it works. So, like, if you, you know, really, why do you want to kind of hack it to pieces if it's been well tried and tested from a UX point of view? So, yeah, some great points there. It's, it's again, it's, it's, I wanted to get to dispel this myth thing in this podcast that it is it is this lockdown platform you can't do anything with. And like I said, the headless um, kind of approach you can take now as well it gives kind of opens up a whole world of possibilities. So it, really interesting. Um, I, I guess I want to look at sort of big commerce now and say, so obviously big commerce is described as like an open SaaS platform. So open says, suggests, oh, right, again, this is really a platform. We can do whatever we want. Does that mean, Sam, that, that from what you've obviously heard from Shopify, I don't know how Shopify does, is... is does it become a sum? Is it more open than Shopify? Is it more extendable? You know, how can retailers kind of move outside of the boundaries with with big commerce? Because again, it is SaaS at the end of the day. But so, how can customers do more with big commerce and extend kind of outside of the core platform? Well, I mean, to be honest, a lot of that, a lot of what Peter was just saying of Shopify would I would echo on big commerce. Really, um, the, when when we say open SaaS, it's um, the, the sort of open source like we've got access to a lot of the um of the big commerce code um up on up on github um so i'd i'd say in terms of of extending it and how, how customizable it is from the front end it's it's sort of very very similar to shopify really it's it's this it's the same story of the checkouts locked down you've got complete access to everything except for <laughs> except for the checkout and you've got you've got all these um all these great uh, APIs that we can use, storefront APIs, um, but the actual the actual theme and the template that's all 
completely uh, customizable. So we've we've been able to at Space, we've been able to do some pretty pretty impressive things with that. So you know, completely rewriting how the PDP PLP are working in terms of um, like parent child relationships between products and variants. Completely changing how that's how that's structured inside the the platform to um, you know completely ripping out the the order area of the account section and headlessly communicating with uh, with an ERP systems application layer. Um, so I think in terms of like, is it flexible? Yeah, massively. Like we've yet to really find anything yet, touch wood, that um, we haven't been able to achieve in one way or another with, with big commerce. Um, but then the I guess in terms of the, the lockdown checkout that we, we spoke about, um, what big commerce have done recently is they've they've released the the checkout SDK, which is their software development kit, which is gonna is allowing um, merchants or I guess agencies to actually develop a custom checkout like from from scratch from the ground up. Um, so obviously there's like there's the drawbacks aren't insubstantial. It's the same stories with Shopify, mm. big the big commerce checkouts. You know, it's tried and tested. There's there's been a lot of research into. Um, what makes a good checkout UX, um, which you can't you can't like question that really, um, and then as well like if you're if you're making your own custom checkout, you're losing out on any uh, updates or features that big commerce might decide to to roll out into their checkout, and then I guess the main one would be uh, it's like PCI DSS compliance, which a lot of merchants don't really want to be involved in. When you're staying on the on the big commerce, that's all handled by big commerce, so it's not. It's not really a concern. Um, and then furthermore than the, the Checkout SDK, they've actually also released Checkout JS, which is their open source JavaScript um, version of the one-page checkout that they offer out of the box. So that's that's sort of intended to be um, if you're if you're wanting to do a custom checkout for your for your uh, big commerce store, it's a starting position. You, you install it, and it's basically this is what you would get if you were using the big commerce is right. checkout. Um, but obviously, you know you can go and do whatever you want to it. It's completely completely open source from that from that side. Um, and there's a few, there's a few other things like that. If you if you check out uh, big commerce's uh, GitHub, there's I think there's about 180 repos or so full of like you know different starter apps. If you wanted to try a headless big com or big com using I don't know um, React, you know different different um, different starting points that they give you to to start with, and like the whole community is really contributing to that. And I think that's what they're they're trying to go with, um, you know, extending the platform as a community. Just, I guess, a quick question. Obviously, you come from a Magento background where Magento is completely open source. You can literally do whatever you want. Yeah. How do you find transition for like the big commerce then where, okay, it's not completely open source, but it's does it give you as a developer, it sounds like it does enough kind of flexibility to kind of do some of the customizations that that you could potentially do on Magento, maybe not to that full extreme, but is it? do you think it gives it people enough control in terms of, what, again, like you said, we've not come across a scenario yet where we've not been able to do something right. Yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, we normally augment big commerce with a, a cloud provider, like a, a Google Cloud or an AWS, something like that. Um, the the back end of big commerce is still very locked down. So if you want to add functionality that doesn't exist in big commerce, we're normally making that as maybe, you know, just a 
a cloud function that we store in Google in a, like in a node TypeScript cloud function. And then it would just be a case of calling that. It might be, I'm trying to think of an example. So um, we had a client who had um, expected delivery dates on products, but they could keep um, they were perishable goods, so the goods, the, the the expected date that you had on your order, it wasn't. It could change. The product could perish, and then it could it could might need to get updated. So it was it's a bit. It was almost big commerce's um, pre-order functionality, but not right. quite. So we had to build out this. It was we did it in Firestore. We had database of all the products, and then all the orders that had got um, the products with that expected delivery date, and then we were going in and. Um, updated in big commerce as, as necessary. So things like that, uh, you can't really achieve out of the box with big commerce. But when you when you start using big commerce's APIs and that side of it, it becomes it becomes possible. Um, and yeah, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of that. Um, and it's I th- you asked you asked how does it compare to Magento when I, when I first when I first started working on big commerce. It, it seemed like I was like I did feel like ah oh, what what how how do I do this like I was very um, felt very restricted but um, it's just a change of mindset I guess it's knowing that instead of it being as Peter was saying like this one monolithic site like system instead of it being that you're having these external things that you're communicating with okay brilliant. I guess um, there's no because we're clear winner there from a kind of flexibility, extendability point of both platforms in one way or the other can be you know, taken out of their kind of comfort zone and, and developed a bit further. So uh, with you guys on today, technical, especially technical background, you guys have got to be wasting your talents if we didn't discuss some of the technical details about the platform. So it's actually both about um, kind of the platform architectures from a front end and back end perspective. So like what technologies they're based on, for example, you know, how are the themes put together? How do we integrate with them? Um, so I guess I'm just to kind of guess continue from where you left off. So for big commerce again, so what what is the kind of like again, maybe for the general listener or somebody who's like what's the kind of general kind of tech architecture that big commerce kind of sit what sits behind it basically? Yeah, so big commerce uh, uses a technology called Stencil as its theming engine. Um on top of that sits Cornerstone, which is the which is the base big commerce theme that they've got, you know, they've done the research into what makes an IC commerce theme. And that gives the that's like you, that's usually your starting point for uh, design SEO etc. Um, that uses um, CSS uh, preprocessors. It's, it can use SAS or SCSS, but it, it comes built in with um, an SCSS framework called Citadel, which is uh, built on top of Foundation. Um, it's underneath. Well, yeah, underneath the HTML is a is a templating engine that it uses called Handlebars. Um, that's a, a JavaScript uh, engine, and that will big big commerce exposes uh, data through the context, um, and then Handlebars can essentially picks up that data that big commerce is serving to it, and it, it renders the templates as um, as defined in the template files. Okay. So really, you're given a, a set of data from big commerce, and then on each template, whether it's the PDP, the PLP whatever it may be, that's, that is rendered into templates and then styled using SCSS as any any website would be. Um, and then there's also, it's, from a flexibility perspective, it's got, um, there's, a, there's, there's a feature called uh, YAML from Matter. So YAML's um, a markup language similar to, yeah. Um, so in that you can say, 
you, you can add this uh, YAML from matter to any of your templates and you can say I want to add, you know, five products. And then it's basically giving you the flexibility to add additional data to the context that you can then draw upon inside um, handlebars when you're rendering your templates. And then and a, a very nice feature that they've actually rolled out recently is um, you can you can add GraphQL queries to your yeah. um, to your YAML front matter. So GraphQL is a, a storefront API. Um, you, it, essentially, you can get uh, any GraphQL query, put it in the YAML, and display it on the um, in the template. So that yeah, that really does make it a lot easier to mm. be to be flexible. Um, in terms of the back end, that's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> a black box. <laughs> yeah, that's we don't see that. We know it. Some it's it's PHP, and I want I want to say Nginx, uh, but we don't as a SaaS platform. It's not something that we need to. Yeah, we just, we don't need to worry, worry about, about it. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then on the other side of it, from like an integration perspective, so you've got your template. You yeah, uh, from an integration perspective, it's it's. I'd say it's pretty powerful. There's there's a whole host of APIs with very very high coverage. Really, I think I've managed to find one thing that um, I wasn't able to update via an API, and that was product level GIF wrapping. That's the only thing since <laughs> since working on BigCommerce that I've not managed to do via an not API. Um, yeah, it's got. I mean, we're talking enterprise, which is useful because uh, the en- the enterprise API rate limits are just obscene. Like. <laughs> I've tried to hit them and it's just not it's just, it's just not possible um or without you know actively going out of your way to hit them yeah but um yeah, it, it, they have concurrency rates which we've hit before so that's not not as big of a thing but it's worth knowing if we if 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 you're trying to process data um, asynchronously like if you're trying to shift a, lo- a lot of data at the same time into okay. big um but like we've done, we've done data migrations when we've been replatforming from one site to the new site, where we've had to do absolute huge amounts of data, and we've been able to do it asynchronously. And it's 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 pretty impressive how how fast those APIs are, really. Um, impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, hopefully, the techies out there understood a lot of that. I got <laughs> most of most of that, but no, it's good. It's good background, and, and it's uh, I guess because well, people you do get a lot of technical people listening to this podcast. So for the, for them, kind of looking at this as a tech architect, you're probably giving them some kind of reassurance. Um, I guess, Peter, I guess same question to you, really. How how about Shopify? What what's kind of behind its tech stack? Do we know? Uh, we know a little bit because they got a fairly extensive um, open source presence. Um, but it's it's hard to kind of nail it down because you've used so many different technologies over the years. Different parts of their systems are built in in different languages and different technologies. Um, I know they started out with Ruby, uh, Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the big kind of early success projects for that uh, that particular framework. And uh, if you you know look around the platform and you're familiar with Ruby, you can you can see the signs of of that language. Uh, in quite a few different places, the Shopify script engines one of the big ones because it still uses Ruby directly to this day. We'll get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other ones like their their Liquid templating engine, um, which is is built. It is kind of like a very clever version of Ruby's ERB system. So um, a little bit like Handlebars does for uh, BigCommerce. It's the system in which you can write your your themes and and make things happen on the front end without having to write. You know, big scary backend code. Um, the uh, the nice thing about Liquid is it gives you a little bit more flexibility to do some kind of basic logic and processing inside your templates. 
ability to like you know set variables and do a little bit of light processing so you don't necessarily have to jump out to something like javascript or an external app if you're doing something quite simple um but sometimes you know it's still a templating engine so you sometimes need a little bit of creativity to get where you want to go if you're really going outside the box and um yeah just very much like big commerce shopify has huge variety of apis um for building integrations and, and various uh, different ways of interacting with that platform. So the main one that most app developers might be dealing with is the admin API, which has, it's fairly strict rate limits out of the box, but they've got the um, bulk operations API that lets you more or less bypass them. So it's not too difficult to get where you need to be. And uh, they're, they're dealing with a lot more load, I believe, uh, especially around sort of like Black Friday where they've got some really huge merchants. So I'm not, tremendously upset about the rate limits because it means <laughs> i've yet to see a shopify site uniquely slow down um which is great and uh you've also got other apis like the storefront api something like i mentioned earlier for, for headless um and they they intend you to do all sorts of things with that the examples they give themselves are things like um, embedding purchase flows into content sites and, and cms driven kind of real marketing activities that might not necessarily be you know, e-com first, but you can use the, sh the storefront API or the, the buy button API to plug those straight in. Um, they use the example of like integrating purchases into video games. So you'd be able to buy, you know, cosmetics for your favorite, you know, um, shooter game or whatever. And, and you can you can run all of that on top of Shopify and just use the storefront API to pull, pull it into the game. And they've even got physical retail. They've got a point of sale system and associated APIs. So you don't even have to be doing commerce on, on the internet to take advantage of Shopify. They've kind of tried to cover every angle they can, really, with the tech stack. Yeah, I heard uh, some rumors of the day. I think somebody found some kind of references to some other kind of, I think it was from like door count, door counters, like tracking tracking counters in, in store, uh, some reference to that in the code at some point. So they're, they're obviously trying to do more from, a, sort of, I guess, not just a pure um, e-commerce perspective. The, 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 the fact they do support... Uh, offline retail as well is, is obviously really impressive. It's something that's big, big tick in their box for them. They, they just basically concentrate on retail. That's what they do and helping yeah. retailers kind of grow. So um, I, I guess some of those want to touch on some things you can, one of the things I want to talk about today in terms of comparisons was performance. And you've kind of touched on it both. You kind of touched on it a little bit when we we're going through. So um, a lot of big question, a big question people always ask me or will ask, will ask you about is like, how, how well do these platforms perform? Obviously core web vitals and page speed is, is like a very, is a very hot topic. So out of the box, I'm going to say specifically out of the box and caveat in this, this question is about out of the box. Um, how well do both platforms perform from the sort of speed point of view? And um, the reason I have to say out of the box is because performance can be affected by some of the factors, you know, like, you know, third parties you install and that kind of thing. But as a baseline performance, out of the, again, out of the box, how do they stack up against each other? Um, Peter, you can again, feel free to carry on. You've been kind of just talking about the, the kind of architecture there. So how does it, how does it look? Yeah, uh, this is something Shopify has been dealing with for a while um, because, as you say, like, it really does matter. It really does depend on what you're trying to do with it. Out of the box, it can be very, very fast. If you do a lot to it, it can, you know, it can slow down significantly. One of the big limitations that uh, merchants might have faced with Shopify, you know, a few years ago, especially again when coming from something like Magento, is because their platform is locked down because there's only much so much you can do with it. You can't as a techie person, go in and go, oh, I'm going to go and install Varnish or I'm going to put a, a clever content delivery network in front of this and really kind of pull it down to the bones and build it up based on what specifically you want. So you've kind of got that 
foundation of performance that you can't really change. So, well, with one exception, if you go headless, you don't have to worry about this so much. But for the theming side of things, they've got a certain amount of overhead there that you've got to deal with. But actually, beyond that, you've got a lot of flexibility. Their previous default theme uh, debut was it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was it wasn't too bad at all. You could definitely do a little bit more to to tidy it up. Something that we were doing quite regularly for our builds. Um, but it, it certainly did the job. And if you weren't loading it up with third parties, you know, you were doing pretty well. But one of the things that they were doing with the online store 2.0 initiative was building out a really, really quick, really kind of technologically bare bones solution in the form of their new Dawn theme. And I say technologically bare bones because it has all the features that you need, but they, we have been moving as a, a as a group of developers, I think we've been moving towards kind of big monolithic chunks of JavaScript. You know, we like React, we like jQuery, you know, we're trying to move away from jQuery, but it's still everywhere. You know, we like using things like Webpack to take a whole bunch of code that we've written in all these lovely different ways, things like TypeScript, things like all the kind of modular systems that we build our code in. And we were building well ahead of our time because the browsers didn't support a lot of this stuff yet. Yeah. So if you're a developer, you might be familiar with uh, ES6, or so, for example, where you build modules in a particular way. And this is great. And the developer experience was fantastic. But you would need a tool like Webpack or Grunt or Gulp or Rollup, whatever you might want to use, to then turn that back into a format that the browsers can understand. And Shopify looked at this and went, okay, but the browsers actually understand these now? Like they've, they've actually caught up a little bit. So they've gone back to the absolute basics. They've built these core themes that they're putting out. Let's say Dawn is the main one, mm. where there's basically no JavaScript out of the box. There's just enough for it to work and do what it needs to do. But there's no like bundling. There's no kind of clever TypeScript, sort of type checking, automated test sort of thing. And that means that they, you can write a bit of JavaScript, and that's what goes into the theme. And they they minify it for performance as you know before it goes out to the the customers. But you're not kind of putting little bits of glue code and boilerplate everywhere just to try and get the most basic things done. So the nice thing about that is it is really quick. Excellent. You know, Dawn's styling doesn't use very many images. It uses a lot of CSS to deliver the kind of you know baseline experience that you might expect. But Again, very, very, very performant. And hitting the core Web Vitals scores that we're looking for these days was one of their big, big pushes, which is really nice. Yeah. Now, any real implementation, going back to what you were saying, Pete, you are going to want third parties. You are going to want your partners. And they're always going to add a little bit of an overhead. So take an example of a, a web chat widget. You want your customers to be able to interact with you to be able to go onto a, a live chat and speak to one of your customer support advisors. This is something that's worth having. There's a real value there. Yeah. There's also that cost from the performance point of view. And actually, I think if you are thinking about implementing something like this, the one thing you want to avoid doing is just kind of throwing it at the theme or throwing it at the project and kind of going, okay, it's there now. We want it. You know, the director loves it. <laughs> we've been told we've got to have it off we go because you can find that balance for a web chat widget for example do you need it the very first time your user hits a page 
the very first time they've loaded up your site and they're looking at a, a product page, for example, do they need the support right then? Because what you could do is you could wait until they've been on the site for a little bit. So if they're clicking around the site or they've been looking at the site for a little while, that's when you can trigger that load. Mm. And yeah, you might be having a little bit more downloaded. You might be having a little bit more JavaScript running. But by that point, everything else is already loaded in. The customer is looking at your product. They are happy. Hopefully you are happy because they're going to convert because your site is fast. But you still get the value of that tech support widget. So I always right. think with performance, so much of it is down to the way you build the site and how you think about the customer journey, both from a functional perspective, but also from a technological perspective. That's really, really, really thought-provoking advice. That actually, in terms of, again, people like you say, people will just slap things on the site and being told to by the the director. No one kind of thought, I guess, how it's going to be implemented. And the same director will come back to them like in a month's time and say, "Why is the site performing so badly?" And <laughs> it's like it is that fine balance, isn't it? Of kind of like um, again, cost, like experience versus uh, performance. But there's obviously things you just mentioned there you can do to help balance that and get it and get it right. Um, really interesting. Um, so it sounds like Shopify has made some, some again, progress and it's constantly evolving and, you know, Storefront 2.0 has made some leaps and bounds. So Sam, uh, I guess, again, for e-commerce, again, from a performance point of view, kind of, again, using the out-of-box analogy, what, 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 what are we like, what do we, what do we think from a performance point of view? Is, is it up there with Shopify? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that, that, it just, it just reminded me of, um, when I was client side, the, the directors asking for the, for the, for the chat widgets in the corner. I, I remember that conversation all too well. <laughs> but I, th- I think, um, I think as, as we'd sort of move into the, you know, the, the rise of SaaS, I guess, um, all, all the third parties now, because, because the merchants want the best in class third parties and they know they're going to have to call out to them. I think there's a real onus on the third parties to make their APIs as, as fast as possible. And I think we are, we are seeing that really. Um, but yeah, uh, big commerce. So the core, yeah, big commerce is cornerstone theme out of the box. Um, it's actually got very, very, very good web, web vitals. Um, if, if you run it through lighthouse, I'm pretty sure the, um across the board it's it's very 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 good but um the accessibility and best practices it nearly it nearly gets full marks for those so okay. they've, de- they've definitely done done the research on that one and um they know what they're doing as they say that's that's what they what they push isn't it they're, they're going for performance and, and mm-hmm. they, they definitely do hit it um yeah i don't i don't think you can argue with it really it's it is like you say it's when they when you start in, introducing um third parties and typically, like with with content in a in a SaaS platform being the way that it is, a CMS is always going to be that's always going to be one of the ones that um, that really slows your page down. Mm-hmm. If you know if you if you're introducing tons of images onto your homepage or onto your PLP or, or what have you, that is going to be one of the things that blocks the load of the site and yeah creates a general bad UX for the for the customer. So I think um, one of the one of the good things that Bigcom's now got out of the box is um, the page builder, which is its own CMS. I say out of the box, there's some potentially you're always going to have some templates involved in um, in doing it, but it's yeah, it's it's pretty easy to use. And that actually, for a SaaS platform, I mean, I, I don't know what, if Shopify has has a, a comparative one, but um, it means we're no longer calling out to a third party CMS to say what content I want on this page. It's all coming in rendering on this with the with the response from the server and i think that um from big com perspective that's that's quite a win for um the, it's always it page builder's been there for a while but it's always been lacking a few um a few features it's 
there's still a couple, but it's starting to it's starting to catch up with some of the third party CMSs where actually, you know, you don't actually need to to pay for an additional one because mm. you can use this, and it's it's actually going to increase your performance by keeping it in the box, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we've seen, obviously, we've worked with them client sites before using external CMSs where we've seen that kind of like that that shift of the way the content loads and they're kind of delaying the lag because, again, the way it's loading the content in. Yeah. Um, again, you're right with with page builds specifically, like it is. I, I say this to the customers, like it's we've got a customer at the moment who's migrated to e-commerce and they, they currently use a third-party CMS. And the debate, and there's a debate whether should they continue with that or should they use page builder. But I said, well, from a performance point of view, at the very least, you're going to be getting an improvement because you're not calling an external content. So, yeah, very good point that in terms of, again, it's, again, it's, another, it's, it's, it's I guess it's a, a third, another third party you don't have to use because it's kind of built into the into the site. So, um, okay, so again, both both platforms, again, out of the box. Let's just caveat with that. Seems to be relatively, you know, from a core web vitals point of view, tick most of the boxes. I think I know BigCommerce has got some other updates coming up to, I think it's Cornerstone um, this year to help improve some of that as well, from what I heard. From what I got access to some of the kind of roadmap and stuff like that. So again, watch this space. But I think if you are considering either Shopify or BigCommerce as a merchant, again, from a baseline point of view, you can pretty much, you know, be assured that your performance is, is going to be improved or at least going to be maintained what you're coming, depending on where you're coming from, right? I guess if you're coming from Mike Magenso, you, you would hope that performance is going to be improved, um, especially if you're using kind of the old sort of the legacy themes with, with Magenso. So, um, okay. Um, I guess I want to move on next to kind of more general kind of points around the platform. It's got to kind of some more technical stuff. Um, but I, I guess from a, Ease of, ease of use for the merchant. Now, you guys aren't merchants, right? Um, obviously, you speak to merchants day in, day out. Um, uh, what do we think about in terms of how, how the platform works day to day? Obviously, Shopify is often labeled as a platform that's great for customers to self-serve and run the platform themselves. But BigCommerce, Sam, what, what's been the feedback or what have you seen from speaking to merchants about you know the ease of use for just a general kind of merchant going on in there to picking it up and, and starting to work with it? Yeah, Um yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't know if I'm the right person there, but I guess. I guess if I've if I've not heard anything bad from a, from a from a merchant, then it it, it must be good, right? Um, yeah. I think. Does it? I mean, you get the odd thing. We've had. We've had. Um, I think we've had to run reports for um, for merchants before. Maybe when um, some specific data isn't easily accessible in the admin panel. We've we've uh, you know hit APIs and then run reports off for him that's the only down like down point really i can think of um i think there's if if there is any functionality missing with 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 bitcoin it's so easy to build it out using the apis because like i said it, they've got so much coverage um and and there's there's the apps in the app store so any anything that they could want to be made it is well almost anything most of the things it is possible to either build it out for for a, for a merchant or you know nine times out of ten there might there might actually be an app already doing it in the in the app store um i'd say that if you've got if you've got pretty straightforward product data the out of the box uh, big commerce product import export tool is great that's like as a merchant that's really really straightforward to use you can you literally just push a button and it gives you a gives you a spreadsheet of your data you can you can fix it up change some descriptions and prices some names whatever whatever you want to do and just re-import it and it just updates everything it's really it's really quite easy to use if, yeah it's really quite easy to use um 
admin panel yeah everything everything's where you would expect it to be <laughs> so, yeah yeah nice easy to easily well structured easy to navigate that sort of thing intuitive um, and you see you see changes over time as well like if you're i mean i've been working on big comfort two two and a half years maybe now um i've things like promotions like the engine that was there previously was not great and you you see that the, they get the feedback from the merchants and then um they actually make changes and improve functionality in areas of the of the admin panel um, and if, i've seen that in quite a few quite a few parts really um yeah i i, I would recommend <laughs> okay uh, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of it from a point of view is like if you're uh, maybe maybe for sort of not a solo trader, but if you're kind of like a small team, um, you want an e-commerce platform, you could just literally get on with the manage, not necessarily have to rely too much on kind of the development agency to kind of get things done. Uh, I guess I'm coming it from that point of view. I guess page builder we talked about a minute ago kind of helps that as well. You know, be able to create content quite easily, and I guess that's the ease, ease of use I'm talking about. The customer wants to kind of get on and just trade the website; they can do that without having to rely on us as an agency to kind of constantly build things out for them and, and build content and whatever so um i think yeah i think you kind of covered that and again you're, you're right we don't hear quite many complaints and the, the feedback we generally get when we demo commerce to people is how easy it is to use how straightforward it is and how intuitive it is to use and most yeah. people don't even need training to kind of pick it up it's just a case of like it's it's just there in front of you right um okay so quest peter sort of same question to you I kind of touched on this before like shopify has been labeled a sort of self-serve platform customers can just kind of get on and run it themselves um, would you say anything, offers anything different to, to be seen in this area? Does it excel specifically as being this kind of like easy to use self-service platform? Yeah, I think it's got a slightly different focus in the admin panel, um, especially again, kind of earlier on and, and, and they're improving this all the time, but they've definitely pushed more for that real simple merchant friendly, you know, beautifully designed um, experience sometimes at the extent of you know maybe they don't have a few features that the vc has or they don't have some of the real kind of advanced enterprise functionality that that some merchants might be looking for and sometimes that manifests in things that just just are actively missing like there's no product modifiers in shopify for example yeah. um which has been a, a pain point a few times and you know there are a few occasions where actually if you need that sort of power then bitcoin might even be the better option but for most merchants that I've worked with on Shopify, because of the fact that it is so well structured and so well designed, you know, they put as much thought into their admin experience as they have their checkout, and they have, you know, they have the ten million dollar checkout. So it's uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a small thing to say, I think. But I think that the general experience of using the system and using things like their uh, their customizer for their themes is really really good and they've been working on it for a very very long time and it just keeps getting better and the nice thing is that now they've kind of solidified the basics you know the process of editing a product or editing a customer or fulfilling an order is really 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 good and they're going back and really filling in the blanks now it used to be that adding meta fields or custom fields to a, a product it used to be something that required a third-party app um and for some of the more advanced ways of doing it you you can still benefit from that well we still use them for all our clients but you can now build them straight into the admin mm. and you can put them on the products directly in the Shopify admin you don't have to go outside which is really 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 nice okay so again it was just again my experience of shopify i think if it's for me you know 
I can spin a, I can spin a Shopify set up within a matter of you know hours if need to. Like again, it's not going to look very good, but it's it's that easy to kind of get get a set up and running again with um I guess we'll talk about apps in a minute, but like it, and even the, even the base product to get to get as a merchant to start selling your product on a website with Shopify, you can literally be doing it within hours, right? I guess the same can be said to be fair to with e-commerce as well. If you're using again the, the sort of the out of the box theme with the way it looks, but it I guess both platforms. That I guess that's what fundamentally for why would class is ease of use if a merchant can do that without any interaction with an agency or a development a developer or anything like that that is got to be like you know i mean try and do that on magento i, don't, I just i don't think i don't think anybody could do it and not not your, not your average joe blog <laughs> i mean no disrespect to magento because it's, it is its own platform or salesforce or whatever it's they have different beasts and that's what they're there for but yeah from a those those two specifically because it comes to shopify plus i think um yeah from what I, I again i don't see necessarily differentiation between them in, in that particular area um one thing I do want to talk about again in terms of it kind of going to extend the platform again a little bit, but each and Sam touched on this a minute ago as well, and you kind of touched on it earlier as well, Peter. Kind of the app marketplace that both the kind of that, that surrounds both of these these platforms. Um, you know, there's, there's there's apps that you can go and get and install yourself as a merchant. But I guess the question I've got is like maybe which which marketplace offers the best range of apps and I guess an experience. Uh, Peter, I'll let you go first on this one. Oh, Shopify definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Shopify's app store I think is it's it's been around a lot longer and there, there there's a lot of apps there there's a huge selection um to to steal a phrase from a certain large company you know there is an app for that in almost all cases um which is great you know there's a lot of really powerful professionally made well supported apps uh including some of our wonderful partners plug plug <laughs> and um you know, so it means that actually a lot of the stuff that Shopify doesn't do out of the box, um, like a good gift wrapping option is one that comes to mind. There are good, really good options to add that feature in after the fact. And they're doing a lot more work these days to enable that as well. Like I mentioned things like the, the app extensions, the checkout extensions earlier, but they're also doing things like looking at the market and seeing, okay, there's all sorts of options for subscriptions uh, so bold subscriptions or, or recharge subscriptions um, are both good options. Uh, say we've used recharge on our, with our clients many, many times. You know they're very they're, and they're great to work with. They used to have. This... You want commission, Peter? That's my <laughs> third time to recharge tonight. No, I'm just, I'm just working with it at the moment, so I've got it on the okay. on the brain. Fair <laughs> um, if you were using something like bold or something like recharge in the past, um, they couldn't work with Shopify's own checkout. So you had to be redirected to a third-party checkout that they ran themselves. So that meant that if you had any custom integrations or any custom styling, you had to do it all twice. And it wasn't a particularly wonderful experience, but Shopify have now built in a subscriptions API where they don't offer subscriptions out of the box themselves, but they give the tools to someone like Recharge where you can sign up with Recharge and you can set it all up there. And then when you're actually working with the subscriptions as a developer or or when you're putting the widget on the theme, you're not really going outside Shopify. It handles all of the really important parts yourself, and you can go to the same checkout you would always use, which is great. One of the downsides then of Shopify's app store being so big is that it does take a little bit of care to find the right app for what you're looking for. Mm. There are so many apps on the app store that just naturally some of them aren't going to be as good as others. So it becomes a little bit of a skill, a little bit of a craft in making sure that if you want a particular feature, you know, you're evaluating all the various options available to you and you're making sure that 
you know, it goes the right way. Mm. And you sorry, you make, and making sure that you uh, pick the app that works best for what you need and that's going to be well-supported and performant. Okay. So there's a wide range of apps out there. Finding the right one is probably the most difficult thing in finding which one suits your business. Um, I guess there's reviews on there. I guess that's a good thing to look at. And we know that Shopify, after you have to be certified before they get the marketplace, there's some kind of level of, um, there's not there's not just a lot of crap being put out there by um, by app developers that is going through some kind of process before it gets it gets to the marketplace, which is good from reassurance at least. And obviously, again, the reviews are, are usually there for to guide people. Yeah, um, it's, it, there's nothing malicious on the app store. It is all checked. It is all properly vetted so you're not going to be getting anything that's going to be actively harmful you just want to be making sure you get the thing that works best for you yes 100 uh so go on so i think well peter's pretty much he thinks inside <laughs> this already uh bc marketplace exists is it any good uh, yeah i'll just i'll just pass that on no <laughs> yeah bc bc's app marketplace is is good but i think i think it's fair to say what what peter said it's it's not as mature as shopify's that's that's sort of the bottom line um, there are plenty of apps on there, and I, I, I guess I could spin that as a positive. <laughs> there's not there's not an overabundance of apps, but um, yeah, I think I think um, the more mature it gets, the more the more you see in like you know most of the big players. I would say of third parties are probably on there now. It's, it's rare that um, an app isn't on there, and we've got of course because um, we can plug this as the, the Space Forty Eight apps. Um, right. We've got. Um, We've got uh, Tom Robert Shaw who has, has been on the podcast before. He's you know he's spearheading our apps. Um, so if there are any if there are any gaps in the market for the app store, we we want to know. We'll we'll build those, um, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I think it is just it's the app store is fine. It's just it's just several years behind Shopify's in terms of maturity. Okay. Uh, moving on, um, there's a few more topics we want to get through. Um, the next one is um, something we get asked for a lot more recently. Um, it's around kind of B2B functionality. We, we've seen a, seen a lot more businesses wanting to go kind of this digital transformation process and maybe launch a B2B store for either distributors or the retailers. And also as well, just want to sell direct to the consumer. So I'm interested to see how the platform stack up in terms of B2B offerings. Again, something we constantly get asked about. And it's like, you know, can we do this on Shopify? Can we do it on BigCommerce? Like, what, what's the way forward? So Sam, from a commerce perspective b2b what what's the what's the kind of thoughts around this yeah i've 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 worked on several b2b projects on big commerce recently i think um there's a yeah there's a few bits of functionality that exist out of the box that are great i think one of the the things you always get on a b2b you always tend to have pricing that's specific for customers that's that's very easy to do on big commerce um you, t- you typically get like a sales guy's offered this client, you know, sorry, this customer like ten percent off their, off their deals, whatever. Um, so you, you that as long as you can get that data from wherever it lives into Big Commerce, that you can you can make a price list for every customer. That's that's straightforward, quite easy to do. That's a, that's a very powerful feature. Um, obviously, you've got things like taxes all configurable. That's that's a well a standard feature, I guess. Um, you can do things like restricting products for certain certain customers maybe you've got um you've got a, a one line of product that you only sell to your very best customers that sort of thing you can you can do that um very easily and then recently big commerce have announced that they're um they're partnering with bundle b2b so that um that now comes as the the big commerce uh, b2b edition uh, comes with the bundle b2b app um 
which really just yeah adds even more functionality. So you've got things like uh, it'll generate invoices, quotes, um, adds bulk ordering. So it's like a you know like an order pad reordering that that side of things, which is which is useful for I guess businesses because they don't tend to order one product as it's like hundreds of products yeah. at a time that sort of thing. Um, but then even even that out of the box, we've we've done some pretty um, we've done some pretty obscure customizations with with B two B. I find that they always tend to be the most interesting requirements because <laughs> they're always there's always like some re, some business reason behind something like yeah. um, if once the customer's placed an order, they they can't change currency or the ERP system will fall over. You know things things like that. There's always like some really interesting stories of, of the nuance of the business as to why you have to build it that way. Uh, which you don't tend to get in a in a standard B two C site, um, and they're always they're always fun problems to solve. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, see, it seems like based on the bundle B two B and the fact that the, the direction they're going, I think big commerce have seen that um, they're sort of B two B SaaS as an opportunity, and I think they're trying to they're trying to get into it, aren't they? Double down on that. Yeah, that's I think that's the one area they probably like it. Well, even at the box, e-commerce is always okay with B two B. You've mentioned before we did some customizations with that, and you know we've got customers using B two B functionality on e-commerce. We're not even using the new B two B edition because of some of the workarounds that we stuff that we've done. So, and even using like say the, the out of the box stuff like customer groups and, and that kind of thing. Uh, again, this is obviously people particularly I'm surprised, but um, you know standard standard e-commerce you don't get the kind of B two B features. But again, comparison wise, we're looking at Shopify Plus. It's definitely. They've definitely excelled um, in that area from, from my point of view. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said. Um, I, I guess, Peter, um, like Marketplace is probably one hands down by Shopify. For B2B, is Shopify sort of falling behind a little bit or is it just not something that they're actually really actively actually going after? I think I think it's... I think if I'm confident with the apps thing, I'm a little bit less confident with the B2B thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Big Commerce has definitely had more of a focus on B2B. And I, I think it's it's fair to say that if you're if you're a merchant that's going to only be selling B two B, it might be actually slightly better to look at big commerce over Shopify for it. Which is not to say that Shopify can't do B two B. It's more that I think there's a focus on the B two C experience for Shopify, mm. and there's an expo- a focus on that particular segment of the e commerce market where really really robust B two B isn't as much of a focus. If you are a, a B2C distributor and you just want to spin up a, a, a B2B arm, for example, they've got a, uh, a sales channel um, that allows you to, re- to get like a turnkey B2B solution. And it's, it's actually really nice. It does a lot of the, the major features that you need from a B2B implementation, things like the different pricing rules and customer tagging and all the rest of it. Um, but it is quite limited. It's not something where you're building you know, a B2B theme or you're building it into your existing storefront it's a separate thing that you kind of send your b2b customers off to and they use it and and it's just there right it works if that's all you need that's brilliant because you're not going to have any trouble with it you're going to be you know it's a really comfortable experience to use it's really well integrated but if you're looking for something a little bit more than that something a bit more bespoke some some more powerful integrations or you know you really need it to be part of your main e-commerce storefront experience you kind of have to start going a bit more bespoke with it. So this is where the, the fact that they've got some really good APIs and a really good app ecosystem kind of comes in because there's a lot of solutions out there to fill the gaps. 
either if you're building something yourself or you're trying to bring in uh, third-party options. And I know at Space48, we've built quite a few B2B solutions for our Shopify clients. We've done very, very well. So I certainly wouldn't say, you know, yeah, don't don't even bother with Shopify because it's possible we've done it. And, uh, you know, our customers running B2B, I think, are, are very happy with it. But, yeah, it, you know, if you're looking for, okay, I need all of this power, all of this flexibility right out of the box, and I want the system to really, really, really work you know, perfectly with it, do you know what? I might actually say go with big commerce. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've captured that, Peter. This has been recorded. So, um, <laughs> no, I think it, you've got to look at it objectively. I think you're right. Big, big commerce has invested a lot of, into, into that particular area you know, in buying an app that kind of already existed in the marketplace. One thing I will say, though, I hear a lot of things again from the, from the partner community and, and Shopify about there's, there's rumblings going in the background with B2B. I know they've got a dedicated team there working around sort of B2B functionality, um, which uh, yeah. we're waiting to hear about what that has. But one thing I do want to give is a shout out to our kind of like friends over at Blue Bolt. Um, they've developed a, a B2B app for Shopify called Sparklayer. I would definitely check it out uh, as an option if you want some kind of like, it's it enhanced B2B functionality on, on Shopify via an app. It's pretty decent. Um, you know, we've had a look at it ourselves and I've actually recommended it to a couple of people as well. So, um, yeah, if you are thinking about B2B and, you know, you want to, you definitely want to stick with Shopify and maybe want to add a different kind of channel on, um, you should definitely give that one a check out. It's called Sparklayer and it's on the App Store. And uh, any any sales for this from this podcast, I'll take commission on. So, <laughs> uh, if you're listening, believe what, guys, I'll, I'll take some of that. I, I think um, if you're if you're looking at the, the landscape maybe 18 months, two years from now with Shopify, maybe the answer will be very different. I wonder if this particular section will age poorly. Should we revisit this? Yeah, let's revisit this podcast. Let's record it again in 18 months' time. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I want to move on again um, to just another area. Um, I want to talk about, um, I guess, one of the things we get asked again a lot about is around kind of like um, automation and workflow. And the reason we do is, I guess, because a lot of the merchants we end up working with on like so Shopify and BigCommerce don't tend to have massive teams in-house. And they want to try and make tasks as easy as possible or trying to take away a lot of manual processing. So I wanted to kind of just talk about um, uh, what, what do the various platforms that become Shopify plus offer in terms of automating tasks for people? Um, you know, what do they do around automation? Like what, what is it, what can be done um, to help kind of merchants take away some of these manual tasks? Uh, Pia, just, I guess we kind of just been talking about Shopify again, so we'll, we'll carry on there. So, what does Shopify do around, or Shopify Plus specifically, around kind of helping merchants out from a process point of view and automation? Yeah. So when you get Shopify Plus, one of the couple of the features you get access to are Shopify Flow and Shopify Launchpad, which are really lovely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so Shopify Flow and uh, Shopify Launchpad, and they're really lovely kind of first-party apps that you get on your store um, to help you with your automation. So Launchpad, I think, is the, the slightly simpler one. It just lets you schedule various changes to your store. So you could create a seasonal theme. You could have a, a really lovely, focused, sort of almost locked down Black Friday theme, for example. And you could build all of this out in advance. And then you could set up Launchpad to switch over to that theme on the Thursday night. And then switch back, you know, on the, the Tuesday morning or whatever it might be. And that's all automatic. Uh, and you can trigger discount scripts, for example. So if you want to do a, you know, a flat 20% off everything on the store, you can get a discount script or a, an automatic promotion, um, and you can plug that in, and it will all run for you. Shopify Flow, on the other hand, is it's it's their automations platform. 
So it's an interesting one because it's really heavily tied into their app marketplace. So the best uses of flow are where you're working with third-party apps that already mm. support this. But it's a way of triggering different events and different workflows when things happen on your store. So one thing you might want to do is say, okay, when a customer places an order, we want to send a signal off to our um, our warehouse, for example. You might have a warehouse app that integrates nicely with Flow, and it's all going to plug in that way. Um, you might have an email campaign tool where they're integrated with Flow as well, and you can sign them up for a promotion straight from that. It might be that they've got their own integration for that, but sometimes you can just make it a little bit more bespoke, a little bit more unique with something like Flow, because it's all visual. You don't need code for it which is really nice. So it's something that as a merchant, you can actually work with these things yourself. You don't necessarily have to get your developers involved. There's also a few other kind of solutions that they offer. So I guess going back to the app, app ecosystem for a little bit, you know, if you're trying to um, pull data in and out, there's apps like Matrixify or Easy Export mm. um, where they can automate an awful lot of this for you. Um, if you're merchant where you know there's an ERP system and you have to upload things to FTP, for example, you can set up Matrixify to export all the all the orders in your system in the right format and put it on that FTP server and then pull back the results. And you do the same for for products or customers, for example. So that's a little bit more advanced, a little bit more enterprise, but do you know what? It can be really, really useful. Um, and we've built some some pretty complex, pretty intricate integrations without really having to write our own code using tools like this. And last but not least, if you are a developer, you can use uh, their Webhooks API and the automation features in their admin API, like the bulk operations API, and that gives you a lot of power too. And uh, finally, if you're looking at the promotions side of things, um, this is one of those one areas where Shopify put a lot of power in the system quite early on. So if you know a little bit of Ruby, you can write um, discount scripts or um, a couple other different kinds of scripts using the Shopify scripts app. And that means you can do things like building really powerful logic for how, when and how to provide discounts. So we've built bundling systems using this. You buy four particular products, you get a certain amount of a discount, or you can get you know free shipping, or you can turn payment methods on and off. So if you only want to accept a certain payment provider over a certain order value, you can do that. That's where you're starting to write a little bit of code for that. Mm. But if you've got the flexibility to do that, then you get a lot of power there. Okay. I mean, yeah, I've been I've always been really impressed with Shopify from again that that, that whole kind of mantra is about making things kind of easy for merchants. And I guess like Shopify flow, as you mentioned, that whole workflow automation is really, really powerful. And and, it, you, and again, even the automatic discounts that you mentioned again as well, like this kind of, you know, taking away manual setup of things, I think is really, really important. I think that's again what Shopify kind of lives for. It's trying to like, you know, give the, the power back to the merchant to kind of not have to worry about code. You mentioned obviously the scripts and Ruby and Rails a little bit, but the actual out of the box stuff you get through like Launchpad and, and Flow. Um, and even then the apps you mentioned as well definitely help extend some of that. So um, I always had in my mind that Shopify would win out on this particular area. Um, but I'm conscious to hear what um, Sam's got to say from a BigCommerce point of view. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's not there's nothing in BigCommerce that would match a flow or anything anything like that. Really, um, you'd be looking at you'd be looking at things from the App Store really for automation. If if you don't have a have an in-house developer. There's features. There's a lot of sort of bulk bulk input export tools like the, the product one I mentioned earlier. We've got they've got those for 
everything, you know, products, orders, redirects, three hundred ones, that sort of thing, all the all the usual suspects. Um, but really, that there's still it's still a manual process. It's not automated, but it, it'll definitely speed up your workflow. Um, I think that if you've got if 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 you do have in-house or in-house developers or an agency, um, you really if you if you've got one of the one of you know like the big three cloud platforms, GCP, Azure, AWS, and you and you're looking at um, serverless technology, that's when Bitcoin really starts to shine because there's um, there's a whole bunch of webhooks. So it's it's things like orders are updated, you know, products are updated, customers are updated. You can actually you can actually subscribe to those using one of these technologies, and then um, yeah, we can sort of trigger headless functionality. So it might be things like when an order's placed, send it to the ERP. When um, when a customer's updated in BigCommerce, send it to the CRM. That's it's, it's it's passing data that way between the between the um, between the different systems, and that's sort of that's the that's like the fundamentals of how how the apps work. Really, they're doing the same thing. So it might be that you install a FIFO app on your website and um you know someone puts an orders dispatched so it, it triggers the webhook it sends the right. email that that sort of thing this it's that side of it is really powerful for big commerce like mm. but it but there's just not really any um there's not really any ui for it in merchant UI, friendly kind of way yeah, yeah you can look at there's there's obviously like ipass middlewares that, that you can look at um which do tend to be more merchant friendly. They tend to be like, I mean, they range from things that are entirely code to things that are just UI where it's blocks and you say, when this happens, do this. Mm. Um, but that would, again, that would be, you know, that's a separate separate provider there. But you can easily, you, yeah, easily look at a, an iPass and say, when an order's placed, send it to my warehouse. That's that sort of thing. But it just yeah. doesn't come, doesn't doesn't come out of the box with big commerce, but, the, the sort of foundations are there. I think it, it. I guess it'd just be a case of someone making, uh, you know, like a AAA app to, to handle this, and then I'm sure Bitcoin would be all over it, much like what Shopify have got. Well, don't go into too many spoilers, but uh, there's a there's an app that um, uh, I've been looking at for a while called Automate, which does a lot of automation. And the workflow engine there is pretty smart. Again, it's only relying on big commerce's basic, you know, what's under mm-hmm. the hood in terms of uh, backend stuff. But it it makes it does give a UI to kind of create some kind of nice automations for, for merchants. Um, again, it wouldn't surprise me at some point if if that become paying. Well, you know, big commerce has got a habit of, of taking some of these great apps and kind of building the platform. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens at some point. Uh, I think it's again maybe one area that BC does lack in for that sort of self service point of view. But again, you mentioned under the hood, like it's power really really yeah. powerful. But you just need some assistance getting there, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah, that would that would be a good summary. Okay. Uh final couple of topics then. Um I want to talk about again one that's always a big hot topic for merchants. We kind of talked about performance earlier on and kind of core web vitals. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is is the only question around SEO. Um there's obviously many areas that kind of come under SEO, but from a technical point of view, I kinda of want to know what the platforms have to offer in terms of control over SEO elements. So we're talking about things like URL structure, kind of three on redirects, you know. Been able to choose what gets indexed with the site and what doesn't. So uh, I guess first, I guess I'm just carry on because you were kind of again getting your flow there. So BC, uh, you know, how is it from an SEO point of view? What is it? Is it um, how does it compare? You know, compare Shopify, but what what out of the box? How is it from a, from an SEO point of view? 
Yeah, it's, 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 it's flexible. It's got, I think it's got everything you would want an e-commerce platform to have, a modern e-commerce platform. Um, URL structures, you've got plenty of different placeholders you can put in there so you can you can um, come up with how you want your, your URL structure to be for products, categories, pages, etc. You can override it at, at a product level, so there's no no issues there. Um, the 301 tools is 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 pretty good. You can you can export your 301s, import them like the like the products. Um, very easy to do. You've got all these things like page titles, meta keywords, that sort of stuff. That's all customizable for products, blogs, categories, etc. Um, robots.txt so that's literally just a text area so if you've got someone who knows the knows seo essentially they they can put whatever they want in there so that's completely flexible from a big commerce it's entirely up to you what you want in your robots file which is um telling google essentially what it can and can't well not just google other search engines are available what it can and can't search engines (laughs) i know sorry i forgot what um what they can and can't access when they're crawling your website um and then the other one um structured data it's got it's got it's pretty representative with structured data it's got um you know so that's enriching the page with uh with an object that the crawler will read and it will understand so it's when you go on um like when you when you go on google and maybe you've searched for a, i can't think of an example a blog and it's got you know it's got the author there it's that it's yeah. that sort of thing it's adding the additional information that like google google will, will view that and say this is a product this is the name of the product this is the price of the product this is the image and then it knows to to render that to the customer when they when they view it um yeah, I think I think it, as I said, it does it does everything you would you would want it to do really. So it sounds like it ticks most of the boxes that an SEO guy we want. I mean, again, when we run projects with people involved with SEO agency or working with an external party, they don't generally have any complaints, and we never get asked for anything kind of out of the ordinary. Um, maybe just in a few bits of functionality here and there, but yeah, generally as a baseline from an SEO point of view, I think again, I'd agree with you. It pretty much ticks the boxes. It does does what it, what you need it to do. Um, Peter, again, I do often hear that people have concerns over Shopify from, a, from an SEO point of view that it's especially migrate from one platform to another there's a, there's a risk there there's um, there's, there's some again restrictions um go on how about your thoughts and I don't know kind of talk through Shopify from a you know out of the box sort of Shopify uh, SEO point of view yeah I think Shopify suffers a little bit from a bit of an old wives tale with SEO I've heard people that perhaps should know better saying that oh yeah Shopify's SEO capabilities are Oh, they're no good, and you, you know you need this and that. And you need the other, and um, I, I don't necessarily know where it comes from. Possibly sometimes trying to sell you things, um, <laughs> but actually, do you know what? I think with Shopify definitely does have a little bit of a um, a drawback compared to something like Magento, where you do lose a little bit of the flexibility. So one example there is your, your robots.txt files completely locked down. The other side of that coin is that you probably don't need to mess around with it too much, um, and generally what you get is a very very good technical basis for building on top of with your seo platform most of the things that you really really need are there most of the flexibility that you need to get where you want to go is already there so that's great and it means that you know a smart marketing plan or you know a really good seo team can take shopify and really lift it up and do something very very special as you would expect to do on any platform but if you're not in a position where you want to you know, pay for SEO or you don't want to be bringing in experts, 
you, you're gonna you're gonna appear on Google. You're not gonna be, you know, locking yourself out of opportunities just because the platform is gonna be holding you back. So there are a couple of like little bits that you want to be careful of. A couple of things that you might be looking for some creative solutions around. But I don't think it's gonna hold you back in any meaningful way. Okay. One point I guess I wanted to talk about is again we always get asked about is um oh you know Shopify is your URL structure is fixed we can't change it we, blah 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 we're coming from Magento where it's like you know we've got a custom URL structure it works really well for me. like I wanted to dispel this myth now okay just because Shopify you can't change the URL structure from like a product point of view the amount of migrations we've done to Shopify and not seen any kind of single drop in traffic from doing redirects properly is is ridiculous you know it's 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 if you get it right you you, you do you you approach it the right way. That you, from my point of view, you don't need to worry about this whole URL structure, this URL structure point of view. It's like, it's great that big commerce can customize it brilliantly. You know, ideally, if you didn't want it, you, you, you would avoid redirects if you possibly could. But if you do it right, you can do it properly. And um, again, it's just a myth. Again, you've got that old wife's tell you were talking about. Yeah, it is a limitation, but it's if you are coming from one platform to another, you can do it in the right way. So yeah. I just wanted to kind of add to that. Um, Okay, final thing I want to talk about. We've got through a lot uh, so far. I'm going to give you guys a break for a little bit. Um, you've done really well. You talked about some of the technical details that I could never cover. So I guess the last thing I want to talk about is is price. Um, thinking about from a sort of commercial perspective, really, for, for both platforms. I mean, feel free to chip in on this as well, you guys, if you want to. But um, uh, one thing, again, we always get asked about is, like, you know, from a sort of total cost of ownership, like what, what platform works out cheaper. Um, just from, I guess, from a, a sort of general day-to-day running the platform kind of thing, um, you basically got two kind of pricing models, really. You've got one with Shopify, which is really transparent and very open in terms of how they price things, um, whereas BigCommerce is a little bit more bespoke and you need to kind of go and request pricing, especially on enterprise. So if you are interested in Shopify Plus, for example, they generally charge around $2,000 a month. Um, it's like a flat free to use the platform, um, unless you go over kind of like, I think it's $800,000 uh, a month. In which case, that two thousand dollars a month becomes like I think it's like zero point two point five percent of your revenue. Then on top of Shopify, you've got transaction fees as well. So if you're using like Shopify Payments or ShopPay, the fees there per transaction around generally about one point six percent plus about twenty p per transaction. So again, you've got see the two thousand dollars a month plus the transaction fee if you're using Shopify Payments. You don't have to use Shopify Payments, but if you don't um, and you use another payment method, Shopify do add a surcharge on for any other transaction as well. So again, it's like 0.15%. So something else to think about if you're going to go down this route. So again, thinking about the total cost of running the platform, the sort of monthly subscription kind of fees, you'll call it, plus Shopify Payments, that's the transaction fees or the surcharge they give you. Um, so that's the baseline with, with Shopify. Um, Big commerce. Uh, at their enterprise level, base it on order volumes. So it's not the same for you for everybody. It really does depend on kind of what level of business you're doing now and also what you expect to do in the future. Um, obviously, there's negotiation there to be had with big commerce uh, and the merchants themselves. Um, I, I guess that's the way big commerce, I guess, tend to differ. There's just like, it's, it's, it, you know, you could be end up paying less than on Shopify, depending on what your order volumes are. No, no matter what you're doing on Shopify, you'd always pay $2,000 a month, whereas big commerce, again, is varying on, on, on what you're doing from, a, from an order transaction every month. Um, I guess the other way that I guess BigCommerce is slightly different from a pricing perspective is BigCommerce is, doesn't have its own payment gateway. We touched on this earlier on, um, and you're basically free to kind of use any payment gateway you want. Again, we generally recommend one that's got a, a kind of a, a pre-built integration to BigCommerce. Um, so think about that for, again from a costing perspective. You're pretty much used to free which gateway you want. Where Shopify, you've got that kind of pre-built transaction fee or the surcharge if you don't use Shopify payments. So. I've often looked at this with some merchants where they're using like a payment gateway like SagePay or WorldPay where the transaction fees are like ridiculously cheap. 
and they go to Shopify and have a bit of a shock uh, because the transaction fees are so much higher. Um, but it's the, the one thing I will say is like Shopify payments and the checkout and shop pay are really well established payment methods and it can be you know, used across multiple Shopify sites. Um, so there is a benefit there to that. Um, and, but you will end up paying a kind of a high transaction fee to what you used to. So, um, but I guess those kind of checkouts and Shopify payments do offer kind of a very seamless experience. So, from a cost perspective, again, Shopify is very transparent when you're looking at it. BigCommerce, if you are interested in BigCommerce as a platform, the conversations need to happen with with the sales team there to kind of uh, have a bit of a negotiation around um, what you're doing. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's what we again we've seen sort of deals coming out very very similar in terms of price uh, for both of them. And generally, there's always a deal to be had with BigCommerce. They'll generally they sometimes offer free months, for example, when you're getting going. Shopify less so, but again, um, each case is, is individual, so it's worth having a conversation with them. So. Um, yeah, hopefully that kind of covers off the pricing element. Again, it's it's one of the I guess the last things Shopify versus e-commerce. I don't think you can really have a clear winner here because it all depends on on where you are in the market and kind of what level of transactions you're doing. Shopify can win out a lot of times, and e-commerce again uh, at other instances where you're going like, to looking at sort of longer term deals. So, um, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, you know, we've discussed two great platforms um, here today. Um, and hopefully this podcast kind of given some kind of shed some light on the kind of the key differences that will kind of really hate you make that decision if you are considering one of them. If you're still not sure after all that or there's something you don't feel we haven't covered, um, feel free to reach out to you know myself, Sam or Peter. Um, we're all on LinkedIn uh, or come to myself direct and we can put you in touch. Uh, you know, we'd be more than happy to have a chat with you about the platforms. Um, we've also got a supporting blog post going out um, on the subject on the Space 48 website. Um, so check that out too at space48.com. Um, thank you to Peter and Sam uh, for today some really really good insight i don't think we have a clear winner uh, we'll let you guys at home be the judge of that any final thoughts from peter or sam i think they're both brilliant platforms you know all, all the joking all jokingly aside you know picking one side over the other i think they're both brilliant and i think any merchant could use either and get the best out of them i think it's just picking what what you feel best works best for you and in terms of the features and the offerings you know what works best for your business Thanks, guys. Uh, that's really good. Um, we'll leave it there. Um, it's been great to have you on. Um, but that's it for now. Um, take care, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to Spacebar, a podcast brought to you by Space48. We're a UK leading CX and e-commerce platform specialist. If e-commerce content's your thing, then please be sure to subscribe to hear more. Do you like what you've heard or is there room for improvement? Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.